the Spirit of Jazz podcast, where music dances with mystery, with your hosts, Bill Carter and Jeff Kellum. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode four. We're going to keep talking about what is jazz? What are they doing? What's happening in this music? And I'm fascinated by it because as a connoisseur or as an audience member, I watch and listen and intrigued as a non-musician. I just appreciate so much watching the bass player look over at the drummer and then the drummer smiles at something the piano player has done. And, And it's a piece they've played maybe over and over, but there's always something new. It's always in progress. You know, there's that old Bible verse, sing a new song to the Lord. What happens in jazz is we swing a new song, but the new song is based out of the same old notes, and they're going to be arranged differently every time we play it. Yeah, I've heard you say that you've got the 88 keys on the piano, and you've got these certain number of notes to play, but they're always evolving. And there are sometimes some established patterns or repetitive things that we do when we approach a tune as we've approached it before. And that might be a written arrangement or just an agreement between the musicians. But jazz to be jazz welcomes the emergence of something fresh, something imaginative, some kind of new spin. So we're not making it up out of the air every time. And that would be a flawed understanding of what jazz is. But we're basing it on our experiences with one another and also our engagement with the material we're playing and our engagement with one another. And then we, uh, we see what happens. Yeah. In classical music, there's that surprise symphony, but it's like, it doesn't come as a surprise to the musicians because those on stage have played it over and over and over. They know what's coming. The audience might catch a surprise. But in jazz, every time you go to the performance, it's full of surprise. Well, that's right. It's kind of maddening to some people who buy the ticket or pay the cover charge and they show up and the musicians are playing a familiar tune, but they're not necessarily playing it the same old way. Uh, They Mm -hmm. might be turning it on their head. Now, when Dave Brubeck and his quartet played Take Five, Mm -hmm. uh, the audience immediately applauds as it begins because they know the tune. But what did Brubeck do to make it new when he played it? Oh, he, he would experiment with the rhythms and experiment with uh, creating melodies on uh, an emerging harmony. And I'm sure if they were in a run and playing 15 nights over the course of uh, two or three weeks, that they would probably do some things they had done the night before that worked out, or they would scrap things they didn't think worked out. And the basic rhythm is there, and they're playing on an E-flat minor chord. Uh, that's what they're doing. That's the harmony, boom, boom, and they're just kind of stretching that out and inventing melodies. But then they have some fun with it. Bobby Melatello, the sax player who played with him many years, would sometimes intersperse familiar melodies from Disney cartoons or something classical and just kind of put it into the improvisation, and the guys would crack up. Brubeck was often far more serious about it, so he wouldn't necessarily quote other melodies but he would start doing really odd things with the harmony. And the guys would just kind of keep going and trusting that this would reach some resolution. I mean, they're taking a risk, but the greater risk is actually trusting one another that you're going to land in the right place, which I think is a spiritual virtue. So you take the familiar and you make it new each time it's played. That's right. 
So how about if we listen to a possible tune? This is a version of a melody I wrote when I was still in college. The title will give you a suggestion of a story. It's called I Lost My Keys in Kennedy Airport. The story is uh, my senior year in college, our professor sent the jazz band from our university down to Puerto Rico for a week, and he didn't go with us because he was the chair of the department. That was probably a tactical mistake because you send a bunch of 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds down to San Juan, and you you hope that none of them end up in jail, and one of our guys almost did, and you hope they all come back, and they mostly did. So we had taken a state university van down to Kennedy Airport and parked it because we needed to, you know, take in some gear, a keyboard, a bass amp, some things like that. When we came back, we could not find the keys to the van. But fortunately, one of the musicians knew how to break into a car. Another one knew how to hotwire the van. And I thought in the way back, this is perfect for a tune. So this is based on the chord changes of I've Got Rhythm, and it features Al Hamm on saxophone and Tony Marino on bass. Let's give it a listen. Thank you. 
as a fan, what do you hear in that performance? Well, the first thing that, that I was going to say is that you had said it was based on chord changes and I've got rhythm. So, of course, the brain that I have says, oh, I'll be hearing a little bit of the melody if I got rhythm in there. I, not that I didn't hear that. So what <laughs> does that mean? It's based on the chord changes. Well, a lot of jazz is constructed on, on the basis of previous tunes. So I've got rhythm basically is a series of eight bar sections. I've got rhythm, da, 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 and, and, and that's repeated, and then it goes somewhere else in the middle, and then we call that the bridge, and then it mm -hmm. goes back to the original section, and of course, the original I've got rhythm has a couple of more measures added at the end. So all the harmonic structure of that, new melodies are created on top, which is how this was put together. And it was originally composed for two lines, almost in parallel. Tony didn't stick to the script this time through, and which is fine because that, that guy is so full of imagination on his bass. Did you hear him adding some percussion with a groan or a sigh once in a while? I mean, it's like he was putting that in the empty spots between his notes. He wasn't yeah. straining for him. He was participating bodily with uh, his improvisation. Well, a wonderful piece. And, and to hear the two instruments, you don't hear a duet between a sax and a bass very often. Not enough. What I like about this, uh, and I think it, it bears on the theme for today of these new songs coming from the old materials, it reveals that jazz is a dialogue. It's a dialogue between the musicians. It's a dialogue between the improviser and the established harmony. And it's a dialogue then with the audience, which uh, what I like about this, it's a live performance. And that piano player comes in and finds the keys, if you notice, at the very end. And the, the audience um, also is there. You can hear that in a little bit of applause. All those dialogues are converging. There's something conversational uh, about the nature of improvisation. Just like a conversation like we're having, we know what we want to talk about, but then it must unfold. I picture the audience enjoying this dialogue uh, so much that there's got to be a smile on their faces. I mean, it's, it's totally enjoyable. They, they know intuitively that uh, the guys are making it up um, <laughs> and that there's, they're, they're walking two parallel type ropes in some ways. But it also says something about the nature of the performing arts. Audio recordings like we've just heard are, are great, but man, it's a whole different thing when you get to see it being made. Mm -hmm. There's something about that. I hold a conviction. More people would fall in love with jazz or fall in love with jazz again if they were able to see it as well as hear it. Yeah, I was out uh, at an event a couple of nights ago uh, where the quartet was playing in a tent type thing outside a golf course restaurant or whatever. And as people come out of the restaurant, they hear that music. And one would think it would draw them in just out of curiosity. And I looked around the room and there were a couple of kids there. And I thought, I'm so glad they're being exposed to this because this is something entirely new to them. Well, it's live music, it's living music, and uh, because of this dialogical nature of this particular kind of music, it reminds us how of the importance of relationships, of teamwork, of collaboration, and ultimately of, uh, well, church people would call it fellowship, uh, musicians would call it the hang, 
<laughs> hanging out yeah, and, yeah. and participating as friends, participating as, as colleagues. When people write music uh, or write stories for that matter, or poetry, they speak of the muse. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, those of us who have a spiritual side would speak of the spirit helping to write this music and to recreate it each time it's played. That's, that's right. And I don't know where the muse confronts you or invites you. I confess sometimes it comes to me in the shower when I'm busy doing something else out of the blue or out of the depths, something fresh will emerge. And of course I have nothing to write it down with. So I, I often will verbally repeat it until I can get out of the shower and find a notebook or something. And it's drenched with water, yeah. <laughs> shampoo. <laughs> and for me, it's taking a walk, um, okay. you know, taking a walk and just being uh, maybe walking the same path each time. Uh, there's always something new in that walk that you see as you as you go. Uh, and I, I like you in the shower, I don't have a pencil and a pad with me. So you try to keep that in mind. Uh, it's kind of like waking up from a dream and thinking you really should have written down what, what happened. Well, and a, a, a core aspect of this is playfulness. Hmm. And uh, I lament that, at least in our culture, playfulness is weaned out of people by maybe the time they're five or six years old. Yeah. I remember when my kids were little and they want something special for Christmas and we would get it for them. And then they would end up crawling inside the box. Yeah. And, and that becomes a fort or a cave or uh, and that kind of imagination to revisit that and claim it is essential to creativity. Yeah, yeah. It is part of the development of, of a childhood into adulthood, uh, the evolution of the, of the child. Uh, but we all want to hold on to that playfulness. We all want to be in touch with the child inside us. Even in my advanced years, mm -hmm. uh, man, there's some child play in there. Yes. But in the end, what makes this spiritual, I guess, for me, is there's something mysterious going on. It, it really can't be completely parsed. It can't be totally defined or captured or even figured out. I mean, we could write down the notes on paper afterwards and see what was emerging. But it reminds me of an old uh, Louis Armstrong legend. This lady came up to him afterwards and said, Mr. Armstrong, what's going inside of your head when you play jazz? And he growled, lady, if I could tell you, your brain would explode. <laughs> right. At least I hope not. But, you know, there, there's something really that is unmanageable. And I would even, I would even posit wholly about this creativity. And I think we'll get into that next time. Uh, how much of this is sacred and how much of this is secular I've got some painful stories of a, a couple of times when I played jazz uh, as a teenager in a church. But before that, the antecedents were some really horrific denigrations of the music by people who should have known better. Mm -hmm. So we'll tell those stories maybe in the next episode. Before we, we go, though, we've been talking about growth, new songs, new movement within a jazz piece. But within the jazz culture itself, there's been evolution as well. Uh, we've been talking about individual songs or tunes and, and uh, performances. 
But within the whole genre of jazz, there's been evolution from the beginning. People talk about the stages or, or, or the, uh, the eras of jazz, certainly on a future episode. Yeah, it's, it's a living tradition, and it's still going on. That's going to be kind of a fun journey. Well, speaking of journeys, we're really glad that all of you have tuned in for this episode. This is uh, an ongoing conversation for the two of us, and hopefully with you too. You can respond by going to presbybop.com or send us a note at podcast at presbybop.com. We would love to hear from you. And your comments and questions and suggestions will certainly influence the uh, evolution of the podcast as we move. In the meantime, I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. This is the Spirit of Jazz. Thanks for listening to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is a production of Presby Bop Music. To find out more about Presby Bop, our music, concerts, and recordings, please explore our website at www.presbybop.com. And send us a note telling us what you think about the spirit of jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Check in with us again next time. I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. Thanks for tuning in.